Well, good morning and welcome to the church at Woodbine. It is a pleasure seeing each and every one of you here today. For those worshiping online, we're glad you have joined us. Before we read the text today, I just want to do a quick little review of the sermon series that we are in, and then I've got a question I want to pose to you, and I think I've asked this question before. But we are now in the Gospel of John, and we just started a couple weeks ago where we looked at in the beginning, not the beginning, but the beginning was the Word. And then last week, we looked at John the Baptist and how he proclaimed and how he lifted up and how he declared that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And today we're going to look at John chapter 2. But here's my question. Where in Scripture do we find and see Mary, the mother of Jesus, her last words recorded in Scripture? Where is it found? Let us stand now for the reading of God's Word. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does this have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and he told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cain of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for this incredible day. Jesus, we love you and we praise you, and we thank you that you are the miracle maker. You are the one who gives us new life, and you revive, you renew, you restore, you rebuild. And Father, may we approach you with incredible boldness like your mother did. May we obey you as these servants did. And may we see that you do incredible things. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Father, give me your words that I would say only what you want, nothing else. And I pray for everyone who's here today, worshiping online, who will hear this later. Bring encouragement, bring strength, bring hope, bring comfort, bring conviction, bring transformation. May your fire, Holy Spirit, burn in our hearts and minds for the glory and name of Jesus, for his glory. And Father, we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. My question, what are the last words of Mary in the Bible? And if you are paying attention, you'll probably know it is found in this passage right here. Do everything he tells you. 
Today we're looking at the gospel here where Jesus changes water into wine. And the question I want to pose to you, it's something that I had to deal with for almost 20 years in Mexico. And it'll be on the screen. And here's my question. How would you share the gospel with someone who has a deep, undying commitment to the Virgin Mary? And at the the least, it's afraid of putting their faith in Jesus. Because to them, if they do so, it would mean becoming a Protestant. Which is not only offensive to Mary in their minds, the mother of Jesus, but also to their own mother and grandmother and the faith they were raised in. That was a question we had to deal with in Mexico a predominantly Roman Catholic country where everyone kind of heard about the gospel, but the patron saint of Mexico is the Virgin of Guadalupe, Mary, and the devotion that many of my neighbors, friends, people I'd meet on the street, people in our neighborhoods, it was so committed to Mary that if they were to put their faith in Jesus and become a Protestant, it would almost make them feel like they're turning their backs on Mary They're turning their backs on their faith and they're becoming offensive to their own mother, even grandmother. So what would we do? How would we lift up and share Jesus? This story right here and the question I pose to you, what are the last words of Mary recorded in all of scripture? We will see. Right here in John chapter 2, and if you've closed your Bibles, you can open them back up. Let me give a little context to where we are in the life of Jesus. Jesus grew up a carpenter's son, and his father, Joseph, raised him as a carpenter. And that's how he was trained, and that's how he worked. Jesus was the firstborn of Joseph and Mary. He had a whole lot of younger brothers and sisters. At this point in Jesus' life, we think that Joseph has already died. In the context of Jesus' ministry, at around age 30 is when he was set apart and baptized by John the Baptist, not because he needed to be forgiven at all. And then after his baptism and after being anointed by Holy Spirit, he was led out by Holy Spirit to the desert. And if you know anything about scripture, you know the story where he, was, where he fasted and he prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. No food, no water. After those 40 days of fasting and of prayer, the devil came and tempted him three different times. And you can see that in some of the gospels. And then after he resisted those temptations, and remember Jesus, yes, being son of God, being God in the flesh, he still was 100% man. He lived just like you and just like me. And he resisted those temptations. And then he was led by the power of Holy Spirit back to Cana. And before he actually started his ministry, which was really soon, He began calling some of his disciples, come follow me. And then we have this wedding right here. And it says here in verse one, and we've looked at it, we've seen it. We have right here on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any more wine. But Jesus responds, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. We're going to stop right there because some of this looks extremely offensive. Oh my gosh, how could Jesus say it to his mom? But it's just a party. It's a wedding. And most of us, if we didn't grow up in Israel during this time, we're going to have a hard time understanding some of the cultural issues that went on. 
this was not just some tiny little wedding. Many wedding feasts back during Jesus' time would last a week. And the whole family, the extended family, the whole town would have been invited. And it would have been this huge celebration. And as we see later on, at the beginning, the first hours of the wedding feast, or even the first few days, they're putting out the best wine. I'll go ahead and offend maybe some of us, or just let it be very clear. Drinking alcohol is not a sin. Getting drunk is. And in the context of Ephesians, Paul says, do not get drunk, but be filled with Holy Spirit. Now, for some of us, drinking alcohol can be a sin, and it can be a huge stumbling block. But let's get over it. And a lot of my alcoholic friends in Mexico would use this very passage to say, you see, Jesus made water into wine. And there's really nothing that I can do about it because it's true. Now, wine in Scripture represents blessings and joy and pleasure. It represents God's overflow that he gives to us. We sing about it in one of our songs, New Wine. And you see it all throughout Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, so many of the Old Testament prophets when they talk of the Lord's day and the finals day and when the Lord returns and when he establishes his kingdom, it talks about new wine being created and wine flowing down the mountain. It's talking about his abundance and his joy and his pleasure and his healing and his life that he brings. It's not about drunken debauchery. There is no sin in his presence and there is no evil. It is pure and it is holy and it is good and it is righteous and it is true. And here Jesus is, he, his mother, his brothers, some of his disciples, they're at this party. Jesus loves the party. He loves to have fun. One of the most scandalous nicknames that they gave Jesus, his enemies, was friend of sinners. Why? Because he went to tons of parties and he hung out with the sinners, the people of horrible repute. I'm going to ask someone, if someone could give me water, please. If someone could just run back, it'd be great. Thank you. Thanks, Trout. But here Jesus is. He's at a wedding. What was Jesus doing? Was he sitting in some corner at the wedding? Was he the center of attention? Was he like what The Chosen, if you guys have seen the movie or the, the series, The Chosen? Was he playing with all the kids doing these amazing things and his disciples are kind of off to the side? I wish he'd hurry up and get started. I mean, what in the world is he doing? Jesus is at this party. And one of the greatest cultural taboos to ever happen at a wedding is that they ran out of wine. I cannot tell you, and I don't even understand it myself, the cultural shame that would come upon the wedding party. That's the bride and the groom and their families. The shame that they would feel, oh, thank you so much. Thanks, Ralph. Could I also get a large pizza with the orange season? The shame that they would feel for having run out of wine is horrific. Have you ever been so embarrassed where you just wanted to die? And the disgrace that this family would feel, they've run out of wine. Now, why does Mary go to Jesus? Some people propose and think that Mary was actually part of organizing the wedding. We don't know. But why does Mary go to Jesus and tell him, they're all out of wine? What does she know about Jesus? I mean, Jesus has done no miracles yet. 
the stories you hear that he raised birds from the dead when he was a little kid, that's all from Gnostic writings that were written hundreds of years after his life. Not true. This is his very first miracle. Now, Mary, if you remember back during Advent and Christmas season, when the shepherds came, when the angel visited her, even when the wise men show up a couple years later, it says several times that Mary pondered these things in her heart. And for 30 years, Mary is pondering in her heart as she watches her firstborn grow up as a perfect son and praise the Lord. They don't have any record of what went on in that household. I mean, the shame and the embarrassment that Mary and Joseph and their siblings would have having to raise a perfect son. Could you imagine having a perfect older brother or sister? My two younger brothers know what it's like, but I mean, I don't know, you know, no, I'm teasing. But she comes to Jesus and she says, they're all out of wine. And his response, you could take it as like, man, that's kind of tough and harsh, Jesus. I mean, basically says, what's that to you and me, Mary? And he calls her woman. Now, that's not a term of disgrace. He's not being disrespectful, but there's some distance there. You see, because as you read the Gospel of John, as you read even Mark and Luke, Mary struggled believing that Jesus was the Messiah. His brothers and sisters definitely didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, when you read in Mark later on, once he starts the ministry and thousands of people are following Jesus, Mary and his siblings come to take him because they think he's crazy. He's out of his mind and he's not following what he should be doing as the firstborn. And Jesus knows that's going to happen. So he's already distanced himself a little bit from Mary. But he says, woman, what does it have to do with you and me? Now, this isn't really a side tangent, but Jesus is very willing to allow this family, this bridal party, to go through and suffer the shame of having run out of wine. Think about that. Too many of us, and myself included, I will raise my hands to it. I expect Jesus to be my personal genie to solve all of my problems and to fix everything in my life yesterday. And if he doesn't answer prayer, that means he's not faithful to his word and he doesn't do miracles and he doesn't do signs and he doesn't do wonders and he doesn't care about me. But in this one passage right here, Jesus, would he ever have changed water into wine if Mary had not come to him and told him? Now, if you're real reformed, you said, of course he would have, because it was part of God's will and all, you know. But think about it. Jesus was more than willing to let the natural consequences of this wedding party roll out, running out of wine, and being completely shamed and dishonored because they didn't plan well. That can be an extremely hard truth for many of us when we find ourselves in extremely difficult situations and there's unanswered prayer and we have to suffer. Because I know I want a God of miracles and of signs who will come in and he'll rescue me. Because, I mean, he is the great rescuer, right? He is my savior, right? He should respond, right? God will put us out in the desert and allow us to walk through the desert for years because he's pressing us and he's making new wine 
and he wants to press us. He wants to mold us. He wants to shape us. He wants to reveal to us what's in our own heart. He wants to humble us so that we will learn that man and woman does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. His goal is for our sanctification, our holiness. He molds us and he shapes us into his image. And he will allow hard things and suffering to happen in our lives, even unanswered prayer, because you see, he sees the end and he doesn't just see the very moment that we live in. And here he is at the party. He knows that they've run out of wine. And Mary comes and he's like, woman, what does it have to do with you or me? And then he says, my hour has not come. And there's many times when Jesus will say things and you're like, what? What is the hour? That's when he'll be betrayed and beaten and judged and spit upon and flogged and crucified and buried. And three days later, what? Resurrected. That is his hour. My question at the beginning, what were Mary's last recorded words in Scripture? right here. Mary doesn't care. She's full of a whole lot of faith. And she tells Jesus, hey, they've run out of wine. He's like, woman, what does that have to do with you or me? Don't keep quit meddling. And then she turns to the servants. She says, you do everything he says. She leaves because she knows exactly what Jesus is going to do, I think. Not because she's omniscient, not because he's his, she, she is his mama, but she knows her little boy's heart and mind. She knows exactly what he's like. She knows that he's already been baptized and anointed by Holy Spirit. She knows that the time is now. And with the faith and the boldness that she has, she tells him. And then she turns to the servants and says, you do everything he says. And then I wonder what she did. She just kind of stepped back and watched her boy go to work. Does she go off and try to help? Does she go try to calm the wedding party down? Does she just go and dance? We don't know. But then what happens right here? The second half of this story here, it says here, verse 6, Now six stone water jars had been set aside there for the Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Say brim. Brim, they fell all the way to the top. Thanks, JP. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. Okay, can you imagine being these servants? I mean, they're like, okay, we'll fill these huge stone jars. Now, these are the purification jars, as it says here. And you'll see it all throughout the Gospels when the Pharisees and the religious leaders are constantly criticizing Jesus and their disciples because they're not washing their hands and they're not following all their traditions of men. Because these huge gallons, they're, they're huge. They would use them when they come to houses before they had eat, before they would come into the house. They would wash their hands, wash their face. Sometimes they'd be used to wash their feet. All this Jewish ceremonial uh, religious activity. So Jesus is taking that water. I wonder, how dirty was the water in the jars? Was it real clean? Might have been. But he has them fill it all the way to the top. And then he tells them, draw some out. Now, has the miracle happened? Do the servants know that the water is now wine? We, it doesn't say. It just says that they obey Jesus. 
He tells them to fill the water up. Okay, they fill it up. Draw some out. They draw some out. Okay, take it to the head waiter. They take it to the head waiter. They're walking in obedience. I wonder if these servants, were there two of them? Were there six of them? Were there three of them? Like, man, this is the weirdest thing. Okay, whatever. And then he tells them, I mean, hand it to the head waiter and tell him to drink some. Ugh. I mean, think about it. You know, there's not some cool music in the background that's playing like we know that something amazing is going to happen. These servants have to walk by faith, and they're walking by obedience. I even wonder, too, like, are they even asking, who is this guy again? Because he hasn't done any miracles yet. That's that lady's son. I mean, think, try to put yourselves in their shoes as these servants. We're supposed to give it to the head waiter, and we're supposed to tell him to drink it? Okay. Was Jesus walking behind them, explaining everything? We don't know. But they give it to the head waiter. And it says, when the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And he called the groom and he told him, and look, look at this. And this is a, one of my prayers all week long. This is such a well-known miracle story that I'm afraid that I'm going get, to get in the way of this story. And I'm also afraid that our own knowledge of this passage will be like, yeah, okay, Jesus turned water into wine. That's what I'm concerned about. And I'll tell you why here in a few minutes. But he calls the groom over. And the groom is the, one, the, the male who's getting married to the female. And he tells him, everyone sets out. This is verse 10. Everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after the people are drunk, then fear here. But you've kept the fine wine until now. You have kept the fine wine until now. I was reading an article earlier this week just preparing for this sermon here. There are six huge stone jars full of water containing 20 to 30 gallons. And this person who wrote this article, he's done all types of studies. Do you want to know how many glasses, cups of wine that would be for a wedding party? 2,160 glasses of wine. 2,160 glasses of wine. Jesus just didn't change a little bit of wine. He changed water to wine. He changed a ton, an overabundance. It makes me wonder, how many people were at this party? How long was Jesus planning on having them party? Think about it. 2,160 glasses or cups of wine. That is how much Jesus made at the end of the party. Talk about an overflow of abundance. And this head waiter, he's already declared, you know, people bring out the best wine first. Why? Because people, they'll get toasted. They'll get roasted. They're going to get drunk. And then we get the really cheap stuff that's 90% water and let them drink that at the end. And they won't notice a difference. But you've kept the best stuff, the greatest stuff until the end. Jesus didn't have to do it. But what did Jesus do with this miracle? He did rescue the wedding party. And he did protect this family from the the complete disgrace and shame of having run out of wine. Their lack of judgment, their lack of planning, maybe their arrogance of inviting way too many people to the party because they were trying to impress. We don't know. 
But it doesn't say in the story what or how, but no one in the wedding party came to Jesus letting him know. It was his mother. And Jesus totally honors this wedding with an overflow of wine. And it says right here in verse 11, Jesus did this. The first of his signs in Cain of Galilee, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Two weeks ago, I shared the reason John the apostle, who is Jesus' best friend, and when he wrote this gospel, is right at the end of the first century. He's the last remaining apostle alive. The only one that has not been martyred for his faith. Though he was cast to the island of Patmos in exile. Many believe tradition, according to tradition, he was put in a vat of boiling oil because of his faith and he didn't die. He suffered greatly. But when he wrote this gospel, he says at the very end of John, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he says and he declares, he goes, Jesus has performed many other signs. And John only shares seven in this gospel. But he says he performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. And this first sign right here, changing water to wine. But look what John says at the very end. He says, but these are written. I've written these seven signs down here in this gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. That's two declarations of who Jesus is. Messiah for the Jew, Son of God for the Gentile. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And see, John right here, he says, look, he revealed his glory and his disciples, they believed in him and they followed him. Now we know throughout the gospel context, the disciples, they struggled to believe in Jesus. I think in the gospel of Luke, it even says after he had risen, right before he was ascended, they says they worshiped him, though some doubted. You know, it is okay for us to struggle through our faith. And many times when we have questions and we struggle, we're too afraid to tell God that we're struggling because he might find out. So we can't be honest with him because he might find out that I'm really doubting. Haven't you heard that when God, who's omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent, when he asks you a question, it's not because he's trying to learn something. It's for our benefit. And John writes this because he's wanting us to see and understand that this first sign of water to wine is so that we would believe and see you because in John chapter 1, verse 14, John, when he's talking about the word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us, he says he dwelt amongst us and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus is God incarnate. And if we want to know who God is, all we have to do is look at Jesus. This is going to sound arrogant and prideful and closed-minded, but we cannot know God without knowing Jesus. And now the world will reject that and they'll say that's arrogance. And it's not arrogance. It's just the truth. Just as saying two plus two is four, and it will always be four. And our culture today is trying to inundate us with so much information and so so many lies that many times we need to go back to the basic Jesus, 
reveals the Father, and he's full of grace, and he's full of truth. And when we see Jesus, we see the Father. So this very first miracle right here, John is declaring, he revealed his glory. Verse 12 is real simple. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And then buckle up. What can we learn today? Well, there's a lot. And for me, I wrote down 17 bullet points, so y'all get ready. Now, I'm going to read them because my brain went all over the place, but we'll dial it down. What can we learn from this story that we all know so, so well? First and foremost, Jesus is a lover of life and of joy and of pleasure and of blessings and of abundance and of goodness. And even when it doesn't concern him one bit, he is more than willing to step in and bring his life and his presence in our dull life. Jesus, and I love this, and I've got this written on my whiteboard, is a friend of sinners. The more we can comprehend the Father's love that Jesus has for us, the more we can understand how much our Heavenly Father loves us, the more we will be able to see other people the way He does. And instead of seeing sinner, immoral, unethical, arrogant, prideful, Republican, Democrat, wealthy, poor, black, white, we will see them with the eyes of Jesus and with the heart of Jesus and the mind of Jesus, and we will be able to love them for who they are because they're created in his image. Let's be the first to take off the labels and to be friends of sinners. I love this, the boldness of Mary. The last words of Mary ever recorded in scripture are right here in chapter two. And some dear friends of ours who grew up Roman Catholic, they taught us, look, don't attack the Virgin Mary in Mexico. Don't attack that idolatry. Let Jesus do it. And they said, there's two ways that you can share the gospel when someone is utterly, completely, totally devoted to the Virgin Mary. Ask them, what are the last words that Mary said in scripture? Most of them won't know. We won't have a clue and open their, their Bible and say right here in John chapter two, it says, she says right here to the servants, do everything that he says. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, lift up the son of man and he will draw all people to himself. Jesus says that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one can come through the father except through me. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And on 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 we can go. 
So in sharing with our dear friends who are utterly, totally, completely committed to Mary, we say, if you're committed to Mary, what does she say? And the reason I'm telling you this is because there are tens of thousands of Latin American dear people, brothers and sisters, men and women, young and old, who have been moved to Nashville over the past 20 years. And there's thousands, tens of thousands of them that still want to come into this country. And God is giving us this amazing privilege to share the gospel with many of them. I have tons of friends and people who I met in Mexico who came to the States for years and then would come back and never once were they ever invited into the home of an American. And many are devoted to the Virgin Mary and we want them devoted to the Lord Jesus. So if they're devoted to Mary, if we're to follow Jesus' mother's words, We need to do everything Jesus tells us to do. And may we have the boldness of Mary to come to Jesus for the greatest challenges we have in our life to the very most small, minuscule, minuscule daily needs we have. And boldly ask and boldly say, Jesus, there is no wine. Amen. Not sure what baby said that the obedience of the servants. Very simple. What has Jesus been telling you to do where you take a step back, you cross your arms and you say no? Any and everything that Jesus tells us to do, and I'm telling myself too, we need to humbly submit, bow the knee and say, yes, Jesus, I will do how we use our time, how we use our finances, how how we talk, our friendships, our work, how we treat our employees, how we treat our employer, our neighbors, our coworkers, our teachers, our students, our patients, anything and everything that Jesus has already made clear to you. Are you walking, are we walking in humble obedience like these servants? even if it sounds or seems crazy. What would have happened if these servants were like, I ain't doing that. It makes me wonder if Jesus would have gone, all right, okay, you missed out. Number five, Jesus is the creator, maker, master over all creation. He could change water into wine. And there's a quote, and I'm going to ask everybody to please stand up. In the same article I read, it's called Wine into Water, A Party for the Ages. It's by Jason Michelli. Worship team, you guys can already come up. But he writes, we friends of the bridegroom, you see, Jesus is the bridegroom, and us, we're friends of the bridegroom. We're also the bride. So think on that for a while. So often we manage to pull off the more difficult feat of transforming the gold medal wine of grace into the tasteless, odorless, joyless, ordinary, everyday water of the law. Let me read that again. Jesus is doing miracles in our lives, and he's full of grace and truth. But many times we do the reverse miracle of changing his grace into law, changing the wine that he makes back into water. How do we apply this story to our lives? 
The first question I have, and we've talked about it, is are you following the example? Are we following the example of the servants? And as we close in song and worship, I want to encourage you. If you need to do business with the Lord, if you're walking in disobedience in any way, do business with him today. Do not walk out these doors still pondering if you should obey him or not. Obey him or not. Choose today. The second point is this. Let's make sure that we do not turn the wine back into water. And what I mean by that is God has saved us by grace, and it is by grace that we're not only saved, but that we can walk in an incredible, deep, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father because of Jesus and through the power and presence of Holy Spirit. May we never turn back and depend on, rely on, or focus on the law and just an entire list of do's and don'ts. It is by grace and our Heavenly Father loves you tremendously and deeply, and He longs to shower His love into your hearts. Two more, and this is long, and then we're standing up. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, it's right at the very end of the persistent widow begging this judge who is not a righteous judge at all, begging him that he would work on her behalf and bring justice. And at the end of that parable, Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Many times we can walk through the very dry deserts where we it feels like and it seems like God is distant and he's gone and he doesn't answer our prayers and he doesn't care for us. And we go through trials and struggles and tribulations and our faith can grow very cold and we can begin to doubt and we stop trusting. We even stop asking because we don't think he's going to answer. And I want to ask it and encourage if that's you today, Ask Holy Spirit to fan the faith of your life once again through the power and presence of Holy Spirit. The final thing is this, and it's very similar. Have you let your love grow cold because of the increase of wickedness? We all have gone through two years of something I don't think any of us ever imagined we had lived through with the pandemic, the loss of life, strife, everything that's going on in the world and the rise of wickedness. It is rising. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24 that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. And my concern for me, for many of you, is that our love for our Heavenly Father, our love for one another is growing cold because of the wickedness of the day. May we pray and plead and ask Jesus to turn our hard hearts into hearts of new wine where it doesn't grow cold. Even though we look all around, we see that wickedness. Again, if you find yourself with your love growing cold, ask Holy Spirit to revive you today. Do not walk out these doors. May we truly experience Jesus and his power by bringing all of our concerns to his feet the way Mary did at that wedding party. Let's worship.